This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time to get into the New Hampshire News Recap. We're looking into this week's top headlines. Gunstock Mountain Resort reopens after weeks of controversy between the Gunstock Area Commission and the Mountains Management Team. Paula Tracy is a reporter for In-Depth New Hampshire. She's been reporting on everything happening at Gunstock. There's a lot to talk about there. She joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Rick. Top management um, at the resort signed back on to their jobs after their demands were met, and the two commissioners at the center of this controversy, Peter Ness and David Strang, have resigned. Ness resigned last week. Strang voted out at an emergency meeting Monday night. Can you remind us, Paula, why folks wanted these two commissioners out? Well, actually, Strang um, ended up giving his resignation at the end, but it was under the threat of removal. But this has been a storm that's been brewing at Gunstock for over a year, but it really came to a head two weeks ago, and it was about politics, leadership, and whether the county-owned operation should remain as such. But in the end, it was the disrespect and micromanagement charges by staff who claimed Strang and Ness were just trying to meddle beyond their reach. Ness created a new seating arrangement for a meeting two weeks ago in which the general manager and his staff were no longer seated at the table, um, and um, they were feeling that they were being relegated out. Um, they couldn't even put their laptops on their lap, and that's when they walked out. The management was able to deliver a record profit, and attendance this past winter was great. Um, and it has one of the biggest payrolls in the county. So that definitely got people's attention. Um, there were also backers of Ness and Strang who want to privatize the operations and lease them, similar to the way the state leases Mount Sunapee to Vale. Mm-hmm. Um, and that follows sort of a libertarian philosophy of limited government, which is favored also by free staters. So the staff were sick of the politics, and really that's what got the public's attention. Now, I know you've been at some of these these meetings called by the Belknap County delegation over the past two weeks, and about 200 people showed up to Monday's meeting. What were you hearing from, from residents who were there? Oh, citizens just wanted the politics out of the gunstop operations, and they wanted their mountain to be um, back open. The public was definitely key in turning this whole thing around by appealing to their legislators who would listen. Some of them wouldn't and didn't even attend the meeting, but there were enough of them who um, they were able to get their attention. They demanded, along with um, the staff at Ness and Strango, as as a proviso of reopening. It was really an amazing show of force that was driven not by Republicans or Democrats, but focused on taking politicization out of gun stock. And it reminded me a little bit of um, my years covering the Northern Pass, um, and the proposal there was to build a 180-mile electric line down the state, which was really rejected by the North Country, or even in the 90s when I covered the Laconia Strait Arrows. And that was a group that um, enraged um, the public by their massive budget cutting, and there were a lot of efforts to oust them. So mm. it was, it, it was a, a, a lot about pitchforks and citizens outraged. Now, I know on Wednesday at the State House, Governor Sununu made critical remarks about, about the county delegation members who didn't show up to Monday's meeting. Why do you think Sununu has been so vocal about what's happening with Gunstock? Well, it's interesting. I think it gets down to um, political philosophy. I asked the governor about the whole matter on Wednesday, and he has been so vocal in support of the change in leadership at the Gunstock Area Commission. In part, it's because Day, who was um, Tom Day, who's the general manager, whom he knew well and admired from his years working at, at his family's own Waterville Valley, 
Um, but but he wanted to make the differentiation between Republicans and libertarians and um, and free staters, some of whom are in the the legislative delegation, and wanted to say these aren't Republicans necessary. They're individuals, some of whom are crazy, and um, he called them, hmm. and who wanted to secede from the United States. He wanted to differentiate, um, I think, the whole matter from being a mainstream Republican thing. And what do you think, Paula, this, this is going to mean for some of these Belknap County representatives when they're seeking re-election this fall? Well, I don't think it's... I don't think it's going to be all that easy. There's this new organization that has formed called the Citizens of Belknap County, and it's a political action committee. And they're putting a, a slate of candidates that they plan to support in the fall. And it will be interesting to see if this all settles down and people um, sort of forget about this. But I think that these are very active um, re- residents that are going to be out there at the polls. Paula Tracy is a reporter for In-Depth New Hampshire. Thanks so much, Paula. You're welcome. You can find more of our work, by the way, at indepthnh.org. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with the Friday New Hampshire News Recap. If you've got questions about what's been happening in the state, you can email us at voices at nhpr.org. And it's certainly been a hot week around here. That is really what's on everybody's mind. Temperatures reaching the high 90s throughout much of New Hampshire. I know the temperature gauge in my car topping 100 a few times yesterday. I want to bring in NHPR's energy and environment reporter, Mara Hoplamazian, to talk more about the latest heat wave and uh, and more. Hi, Mara. Hi, Rick. How's it going? I'm doing all right. I'm staying cool. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, who is at most at risk when we've got extremely hot weather like this that goes on for days? Who's at, at most risk here? Right. So extreme heat can affect anyone. It's important to be on the lookout for signs of heat illness like nausea, vomiting, muscle cramps, headaches. Um, and heat can be deadly, so staying cool and getting help if you need it is important. People most at risk are older adults or younger people, people with chronic health conditions, um, athletes, people are, who are working or living outside, and people who don't have access to air conditioning. So during extreme heat, officials say people should drink lots of water, limit out- outdoor activities, stay in air conditioning, and, and make sure to check on neighbors or community members who might not have AC. And then many cities have cooling centers at public libraries or malls where people can go to get cool. But as the climate changes in New Hampshire and it gets hotter, how cities are planning for super hot days might need to change. This week, I talked with some lo- local officials who said they're starting to think about changes they might need to see um, as we you know, make our way to hotter days ahead. Yeah. And I, I can I can hear some listeners in my head saying, well, we've always had hot days. And, and it's true. But the data is showing we're having more and more of these mm-hmm. and we're New having Hampshire's more extended getting ways. warmer and yeah. and, you know, some estimates say up to 60 days above 90 degrees in the future if we don't cut emissions soon. So Now, Maura, as people are trying to stay cool, there's, there's this tension between using more power. Of course, you've got fans and air conditioning running, electricity costs going up. We just had a very um, a big rate increase for, for some of the major utilities in the state. What should people be prepared for when they get those electric bills next month? Right. So three of New Hampshire's big utilities, Eversource, Liberty, and the New Hampshire Electric Cooperative, raised their electricity rates starting this month. And people will likely see that on their bills in September, as you said. So for Eversource and Liberty, that'll be a little more than $70 extra every month for the average customer. And for the co-op, it's more like $40 a month extra for the average customer. Unitel changes their rates on a different schedule, so their customers aren't going to see that same sort of spike. But that's uh, that's a significant increase mm-hmm. for many, many people. Yeah. All right. We'll be uh, following more of that. And, of course, stay cool. And, and I want to also want to put a little public service message. Watch your pets. Keep them inside. Keep yeah. them, keep yeah. them well watered. 
No, no locked cars. No, absolutely not. Now, you've been following the effects of PFAS contamination here in New Hampshire. You reported this week that the manufacturing company St. Gobain in Merrimack shut down some of its operations because the system it used to limit PFAS chemicals had failed. Can you tell us more about, about what's, what's going on there? Yeah, sure. So St. Gobain makes these special fabrics that are weather-resistant, chemical-resistant, and they're coated in PFAS chemicals, which are harmful to humans. Um, And emissions of those chemicals have caused widespread pollution around their facility in Merrimack and drinking water. So last year, under orders from state regulators, St. Gobain unveiled this treatment system. It's called an RTO, or Regenerative Thermal Oxidizer, that collects the PFAS chemicals from their emissions at the plant and burns them and keeps them from entering the environment. So last week on Monday, one part of that RTO, the fan, shut down unexpectedly. They fixed it, and then it broke again on Friday. So they stopped coating operations, um, which is this process where they coat the fabrics with PFAS while they get new parts and fix the fan. Some law- lawmakers and community advocates in the past have asked state regulators to shut that facility's operations down because there's this stack that can bypass the treatment system. The company says that's a necessary safety feature, but folks in the community have expressed concern about it. And in, in at least one instance, it's caused PFAS emissions to be released straight into the environment. So last week when the fan broke down, that was an instance of that bypass stack being enabled. And this comes right after a group of lawmakers and scientists sent a series of letters to the New Hampshire Attorney General's office saying St. Cobain might have misled state regulators about the quantity of PFAS chemicals that have been used historically at their Merrimack facility and used more in the past than was previously thought, um, you know, referring to these court documents from cases in other states. Now, I know the National Academy of Sciences has provided some new recommendations for how how doctors should treat patients who have been exposed to these chemicals, but what are the recommendations and, and who should be following them? Yeah, so the report lays out the health effects associated with PFAS and exposure um, and, and provides guidance for clinicians about how to treat patients who've been exposed. One recommendation that's a big deal to some advocates in in communities that have been affected by PFAS exposure is this recommendation that clinicians should offer blood testing to people who've had a history of higher exposure. There have been a lot of barriers to getting that blood testing, so having a recommendation that encourages health officials to make that more accessible is a big deal. Um, The report also gives doctors some information to understand risk levels associated with blood testing results, like what level of PFAS in the blood might put someone at risk for um, increased harmful effects like kidney cancer. And there are recommendations about how to treat patients, like testing um, for different types of cancers or, or conditions that are associated with higher levels of PFAS. All right, Maura, before I let you go, I want to ask you one last thing from PFAS to, to uh, trash. New Hampshire's plan for dealing with trash has not been updated since 2003, almost 20 years ago now. Now, a new draft from the state is available for public comment that went up this week. What does the draft plan look like? Yeah, so the draft lays out the goals and actions New Hampshire should undertake to reach this goal that's established by state law to reduce solid waste, 45% by 2050. There's eight goals outlined in the plan. It's things like reducing the quantity and toxicity of solid waste, maximizing diversion, so things like recycling and developing local markets for that, and ensuring there's enough capacity for trash that's generated in the state. There's also a focus on addressing climate change and environmental justice, which is new for this plan. Now, how can people give their feedback on the plan? Yeah, there's a copy of the draft plan on the New Hampshire Department of Environmental Services website, and people can send written comments by email. That email is swpublic.comments at des.nh.gov, or they can mail comments in to the Solid Waste Management Bureau. That address is also on the DES website. Okay. And Mara, I want to ask you, before we go, what else are you working on right now? There's there's so much I know you're covering on your beat. Um, are there any upcoming stories that listeners should be on the lookout for? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm doing this fun story about mosquitoes and a, a woman who who collects mosquitoes for the city of Manchester. Excited about that one <laughs> coming soon. Is that part of um, our summer job series? Part of our it. summer job series. Yeah. Also focused on on a little bit of reporting on PFAS and soil and and how that how state regulators are trying to handle that in New Hampshire. So excited about that. Okay, story too. Plenty to come, Mara. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Rick. NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian. You can find more of their work at nhpr.org. We'll be here next Friday with more top headlines for a fresh recap. I'm Rick Hanley, and this is Morning Edition from NHPR.